Welcome again to Lakeshore. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're with us today. Anybody connecting online, listening later on to the podcast, we're so glad that you've connected with us today. We are celebrating as a church today, Back to Church Sunday. Now, this is a national movement, and the actual date that they set for Back to Church Sunday this year is not until September the 15th. But you know me, I'm impatient. I'm always in a hurry. And I said, we can't wait till then. We're going to go ahead and celebrate in August. So here we are, August the 18th, celebrating Back to Church Sunday. But over the next several weeks and up until September the 15th, other churches all over the country are going to be celebrating with us this idea that there's there's a time where people can be reminded that you can always take steps back to church, even if you've been disconnected for a while, even if you've gone a long way away from God and the church, all you have to do is turn around and come back. And God's grace is there, and God's uh, love is there, uh, and God welcomes you back to his body, the church. And I know many of you have been inviting people to come, and we've got some new faces here with us this morning because you've been inviting and encouraging other people to be here today. Thank you for being the ones who invited, but thank you, those of you who accepted the invitation and responded and came and who are here with us today. You are welcome here at Lakeshore Christian Church. Thank you so much for coming. We are, as a church, the collectively, when I say the church, I'm not talking, about a, not talking about a building, of course. I'm talking about the people. We are, as a church, the hands and the feet of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' work today is done through the church, his ministry, his, his care for people, his, his outreach, his deliverance of people from sin and bondage. It's all done through his people, the church. And, and so we celebrate being connected to each other as a part of the body of Christ today. Now, we've all, as churches and as individual members of the church, done well at that sometimes. And we've failed at it sometimes, haven't we? Being the hands and the feet of Jesus. So if you're here today and your past experience with the church has not been so good, I want to tell you we're sorry. We never meant for it to be that way. Uh, God never meant for it to be that way. Uh, But we are, as a church, made up of people. And given enough time and opportunity, what can people always do? Mess up. We can always mess it up. Even something as beautiful, as wonderful as the church, we can still mess it up. But your commitment to the church shouldn't be based on the people. It should be based on Christ. And he doesn't mess up. And he never fails. And he never comes short of doing what he promises he will do. So I want to call you back to Christ and his call on your life to be connected to and part of the church. We also, all of us, I think here, uh, have something we could say good about the church, right? Some benefit or blessing that has come from being connected to the church. I know it's made all the difference in my life to be connected to the body of Christ, the church, in a good way. Not that there haven't been problems or struggles or, or things that have happened that weren't good. Of course there have been, but, but the church has been a blessing to me and to my family. So the theme for this Back to Church Sunday movement is together. Uh, it is 
it is about togetherness, what it means for us as followers of Jesus Christ to come together as the church. When I was thinking about this and preparing for it, I thought of Legos. That's just the level I'm on, right? That's just the way I think. I thought about Legos. How many of us could ever have imagined that that childhood toy would become worth billions of dollars as a company? But that's what's happened with Legos. It was started by a Danish toy company uh, back in the 1950s. And it really caught on, became very popular. And generation after generation now has grown up with Legos. I've got uh, some Legos that are, they didn't have these at first. These were enlarged ones built for smaller children to be able to do things with, right? And the thing about Legos is they have these raised round sections on them. And individually, they're just cheap pieces of plastic, aren't they? They come in all different shapes and sizes and colors, but just by themselves, they're just cheap plastic pieces. But the thing about Legos is by their design, they're made to do what? Go together, right? They're made to be connected to each other by a plan and a purpose to create the things that you want to create. And, and so when I thought about being together as a church, I thought about Legos, and, and I remembered that I haven't been to Legoland, but I've got family and friends that have been there. And at Legoland, you can go and see where they recreated uh, scale models of some of the greatest buildings in the world and uh, ships and spaceships and all kinds of stuff that they have built with Legos. Sometimes I don't have an appreciation for that. I need to be reminded of that because sometimes when I think of Legos, I think of getting up in the middle of the night when our kids were younger and had Legos and stepping on one in the dark. You all know the Lego dance, right? When you step on one at night and it hurts your foot. And I can remember that, but then I'm reminded, as, as hard as that could be, and even though that might cause some pain, Legos used properly can be used to create beautiful things. Now, as I was preparing, I re remembered that one of our grandsons, Rowan, we had gotten him years ago, a Lego set that he wanted. And uh, he very gingerly, cautiously agreed to let me bring this pirate ship up on stage today here at the church. He said, whatever you do, don't break it. <laughs> you know why? It took him days to put this together. He has a long list of instructions, tiny little pieces. It's got little pirates. It's got a guy fishing off the side. It's got a fishing pole and a line with a fish on it. It's got an anchor you can throw out. It's got guns they can shoot. It's got the sails and the flag. It's got all those intricate pieces to it. And it took days to put that together. But I thought, what a great example of how when different shapes and sizes and colors are put together the right way, they can create amazing results. And that's what the church is supposed to be like. We're all different shapes and sizes and colors, and we come from different backgrounds and different experiences. But when we learn to come together the way God wants us to, it's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. And it can accomplish great things in the world.
So throughout this series, we're going to be talking about how together God can use us to make tremendous differences in the world for our own lives personally, for our families, for the church family, but for the community and the world at large too. If we can come together the way God wants us to, we can really impact the world. So in this series, over four weeks, we're going to look at how together we can find peace Together we can experience love, we can grow stronger, and then finally together we can change the world. We're going to have a guide for this journey. It's from the book of Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles or your smartphone or tablet, you can pull that up. The book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome to the church at Ephesus. He did this about 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he was giving them instructions. They were now functioning as a church body, an individual congregation there. And he was giving them instructions on how to live out life together as followers of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at some teaching that Paul gives us there through this series. And you have to remember the context. I know you know this, but I just want to remind us all. They did not have smartphones or tablets or laptops or desktop computers They didn't even have telephones of any kind. They didn't have televisions. They didn't have any of that electronic communication stuff like we have. So in order for them to do life together, it meant they had to come together physically in each other's presence to do life together. We're trying to substitute technology for actually coming together a lot in our culture. And nothing replaces actually coming together physically with each other. Nothing can replace that. Not that we don't use technology. We do. We love it. But it doesn't replace the need to come together as God's people. So it's fitting as we study this book together that that we we remember that when when this letter was written, it would be delivered to the church at Ephesus to a location there, whoever was, was the one that would be the one that would receive it. But in order for this letter to be communicated, you know what happened? When they assembled together as a church, the letter would be read out loud to them. So in each other's presence, they would hear this teaching. They would accept the instruction. They would ask questions and they would discuss what Paul meant by these things in this letter. They were doing it together. And see, when we assemble on Sundays as the church, as much as some people don't think they need that anymore, they don't think it's important anymore to be there consistently, that's where the togetherness of the church is really formed. It's in those times that we are together physically present with each other not just on Sundays but but that was a big part of how they did it on the first day of the week on Sunday they came together so they got their information in a very communal way and when Paul wrote this letter the people received it they gathered together they they went through it together they listened and they learned and they shared and they discussed and they wrestled through the challenges of living out their faith in Christ in the middle of a culture that operated in a very different way you see the church at Ephesus was in a town where the culture was anything but a godly culture. Ephesus at that time was a bustling port city. It was one of the most important cities in that part of the world at that time. Now, if you look for Ephesus today, if you just Google it, you might come up with a town in Georgia. 
You might come up with a school that has that name. There are a lot of different things that might come first. But finally, you might find, if you Googled it, down the list a little ways, pictures of the ruins of an ancient city of Ephesus. It's in modern-day Turkey. That's where this city was. And we forget when we see the ruins that it was not at all like that at the time they received this letter and the church was functioning there. The Romans had even made Ephesus a provincial capital for them. And it was home to the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. This was a busy metropolis. And we don't think of towns like that in the Bible very much. But I remind us of that for this reason. We're trying to live out our Christian lives in the middle of a culture around us that is also not always supportive of what God teaches and God says is good and right for our lives. But we are not the first people to have to do that. That has been the case throughout history. And that's why these instructions are so important because he's teaching us how to do this thing in a culture like that. And I know we don't want the culture to continue to, to move further and further away from God. I understand that. But whether it does or not, we're called to do the same things. To live the same way. No matter what the culture around us is doing. So we need to learn what Paul's teaching here so that we can work together. Here's something else you need to know about the church at Ephesus. It was a multi-ethnic group. You see, Ephesus was a very diverse city uh, with ethnicities and backgrounds and uh, financial uh, standings of people. Uh, they were very diver diverse culture. Uh, and if you look around uh, Lakeshore Church family, you see diversity all around us, right? So this really connects with who we are, with, with the, where we live, with the diversity we have around us. I just saw another report they were doing on the news last night. One, uh, they were doing a series on this, on, on the... Uh, how Nashville has become such an international city. Yeah, more than anybody realizes if you don't live here. I mean, people think of Nashville as that, still that, that Bible Belt southern city uh, that, that is uh, mostly made up of rednecks and country music fans. That's, that's how they see Nashville. And unless you come here and see it for yourself, you don't recognize what an international city Nashville has become. But it is. Very diverse. Diversity all around us. Not just in town, but all around the Nashville area. The diversity is growing and growing and growing. And so these instructions apply to a culture just like the one we're in. They apply to a setting just like the setting that Lakeshore is in right now. It's a perfect match for us so we can learn so much by listening to what he has to say about coming together as the body of Christ. Now, this letter, the first half of Ephesians, basically looks at the gospel story. How Jesus' life and death and resurrection changed the world. Uh, part one describes God's redemptive plan to bring humans uh, back together with himself through Christ. And then it gets very practical in part two, how we can live in response to God's grace and how we can relate to each other the way we need to. The second half of the book focuses on how the gospel story changes our lives. 
So, following the lead of Ephesians, we'll spend today and next Sunday looking at the peace and the love that we're given, that are given to us through Christ and the sacrifice He made on the cross. Then, we'll look at how we can live that out and grow stronger together to impact our world. So, we're starting today with how together we can find peace. What a timely message for our culture. Our world seeks peace in so many different ways, doesn't it? Peace treaties, peace accords, peace efforts all around the world all the time. We're looking for peace among the nations and peace in our cities. Look at the, the crime and, and, and the division that's happening in our, in our cities today, how, how people and cultures and ethnicities and races are, are divided so strongly right now. And there's an effort to try to find some way to bring peace back to that situation. Peace in our families. Family units are, are struggling in our culture today. They're, they're falling apart oftentimes. Divorce is still a problem. And, and division within families and, and fighting. And families are really struggling too and looking for some peace. Financial struggles, whatever it is. Peace in our churches. Even churches have division and struggle and fighting among themselves. Peace in our own minds and our own hearts. Wouldn't it be nice to really be able to experience peace, not just for a moment, not just for a day or two, because you got to go on vacation or something, but to be able to have peace consistently in your life. Wouldn't that be a remarkable thing to be able to do life that way? Well, he's giving us some insight here in Ephesians on how that can happen. Let's pick up in Ephesians 2, verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The first thing we want to see about this peace is this it is peace that is found in unity it's found in unity I love the terminology he uses he says you are no longer foreigners and strangers have you ever found yourself searching for a place to belong feeling like I just don't fit in anywhere I know that's a real struggle in people's lives today. Uh, studies that have been done, uh, surveys that have been done, say, you know, we're living among more people, but we're feeling more isolated all the time. I think technology that was supposed to connect us more has actually isolated us more from each other. And so we don't feel connected anywhere hardly. Like we really have relationships, real relationships beyond a like on Facebook or a follower on Instagram. And those aren't real connections. Those aren't real relationships. If you're, if you're taking great pride that you've got this many followers on Facebook as if somehow that means you've got relationships in your life, you are mistaken. That doesn't mean you've got any real relationships. So he's saying here that they're, in their culture, he, he addresses 
the division that was there between the Jews and the Gentiles especially. Uh, and when you say Jews and Gentiles that he addresses in this book, that covered everybody because if you weren't a Jew, then everybody else was in the other category. You were a Gentile if you weren't a Jew. And so he's saying we were divided, we were isolated from each other, and what Christ has done for us gives us the ability to come together even though we've had these divisions in the past. So if you're searching for a way to become part of something bigger than yourself, where, where can you go? Where do you sense that belonging that you're looking for? Paul says that the body of Christ, the church, is our place of belonging no matter where we come from. It's the place of connectedness. That's what God designed the church to be. So that if you don't feel like you fit in anywhere else, you should be able to come and connect to and be a part of the body of Christ, the church. Now, I know you may not have had that experience. It may not have felt that way in the past. I'm talking about the, the design God has for the church, what it's supposed to be, what it's intended to be. Is this place where you connect and you know you belong there. It's rooted in the restoration and the unity that's brought by Jesus. After a short introduction, Paul takes us directly into the central issue of togetherness in Ephesians. It's unity. And foundational to unity, Paul understands and tells us, is this concept of grace. What a great concept, grace. Here's the thing about grace. He says back in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, you may recognize this passage. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Think about that. If you have connected to Christ and His church through what Jesus did for you on the cross, what enables you to be part of the church is the same thing that enables me to be part of the church. What enables you to be welcome into the presence of God in the presence of Christ is the same thing that enables me to be welcome in the presence of Christ. You know what it is? It's not my good works. It's not how I was born or what color my skin is or what my financial standing is. That has nothing to do with it. You know what allows me to be in the presence of God? His grace. That's all. That's the only thing. You know what allows you to be part of his church family and be in his presence? Grace. You haven't earned this. You don't have a right to it. It's been given to you, he says, as a gift freely from God. So you can't boast about this. You can't boast about how, how God's so pleased with you and wants you to be part of his family and how somehow your good life has allowed you to have that and, and, and look down at other people as if they're not People who would belong here. None of us belong here apart from the grace of God. None of us. So it is by grace that we are welcome. Now here's the thing about grace. Grace does not allow for any exclusions. Did you catch that? I'll say it again. Grace does not allow for any exclusions. Anybody can be saved by the grace of God. In fact, it's the only way they can be saved. It's the only way. I can be saved, or you could be saved. Anybody could be saved. It's by the grace of God. 
So when we talk about being connected, we all come to Christ and to his body, the church, through the same means. And it's the grace of God as he lived it out through giving his son Jesus to die for us on the cross and pay that price for our sins. It is only by that sacrifice and the grace of God allowing us to be uh, to welcome into our lives the payment that he made for us. It's only by his grace that any of us can be connected. There, there are no exclusions from this. Paul goes on to explain how Christ's purpose was to unify and bring people together who otherwise could never be together in peace. And Ephesians 2 verse 14, he said this of Jesus. He clarifies for us. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By coming to save the world, by giving himself on the cross, he, he tore down the barrier that separates us from God, but also separates us from each other. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, and only through that, the door to peace in relationship with God and in relationship with each other is open. Only through what Jesus did for us. Can we go through that door and enter into the peace that God wants us to have in our lives? Jesus prayed a beautiful prayer in John 17, the first half of the prayer. He's praying for those disciples that were with him because he was about to go to the cross and he wanted them to hold on to their faith and their courage through all of that. But then in verse 20, he shifts his prayer to include all of us. Here's what Jesus prayed. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be, what's that word? One. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We find peace not by separating ourselves from each other. We find peace by entering through the grace of God into relationship with each other. That's where we find peace. You see, peace, secondly, is found in God's presence. Because He is our peace. That's much easier to say than to do, I know. I mean, the world has been struggling with this forever. Just in my lifetime, so many efforts have been made to, to force peace on us, right? I mean, the races were divided. And so what we decided was make a law that the races have to be brought together, right? By law, we're going to integrate the schools. There are no more segregation. We're going to bring everybody together. And then there'll be peace. It'll just break out. Did peace break out? No, it did not. We've been integrated for a long time now. Peace didn't break out. Well, well, then there was another effort. Well, what we got to do then, here's an idea. Let's try this. Let's get a bunch of celebrities together, famous singers and musicians, and let's have them do a song, and let's join hands and all sing together, we are the world, we are the children. Don't worry, I won't sing anymore. Right? Like that was going to do it, right? We could, we could bring everybody together. We're all going to get along now. Did that bring peace? No, well, that won't work. So let's try something else. Here's an idea. 
Here's an idea. Let's form an organization where representatives from every nation that want to be a part of it, we come together and we unite each other in this organization. We become united. Let's call it something like the United Nations. And that'll bring peace all over the world. The United Nations has been around a long time now. Did it bring peace? No. Has it brought peace? You know why? Those are all failed efforts because they don't go to the source of the problem. They don't ever get to the source of the problem. People talking about the shootings and the crime and all of that. They don't go to the source of the problem to try to fix it. The source of the problem is the sin in the human heart. It's the sinful nature of mankind. And only Jesus can take care of that for us. Only Jesus can bring healing and restoration of relationships that go past the sin nature of human beings. You see, it's the sin nature that divides us. It's the sin that's the dividing wall that Jesus' death on the cross came to tear down and remove. And it's through Christ that we can remove that barrier and have unity with God and with each other. It's only through Christ. Paul was crystal clear in verse 14 that Christ himself is our peace. He, the person of Jesus, is our peace. You really want to change the violent division and nature of our culture? Bring more people to follow love and follow Jesus. Here's what happens. If I surrender my life and my heart to Christ, and I start following his teachings, it will change the way I treat other people. His teachings do that. And so if other people are brought to Christ and they surrender to his life and his teachings in their lives, then he changes their heart. And then because we're both connected to Christ, what does that do for our relationship? It connects us to each other in a better relationship. You see, that's where unity begins to take place. That's where peace begins to be experienced. Now, I'm not saying you can't do some of the other stuff, the efforts that have been made. I'm just saying those efforts will fall short if we don't bring people to Christ. That's the ultimate source of peace is a relationship with Jesus. In Galatians 5, beginning with verse 22, we have a record of what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what he says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's that next one? Peace. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Peace is the result of the dwelling of God's Spirit in the hearts of human beings. It is by the Spirit of God that the sinful nature can be subdued and we can become the people God wants us to be. We can't do this on our own and no effort of man will ever get it done apart from the working of the power of the Spirit of God. That's the only thing that can accomplish. True bringing people together in peace. If we really want peace, that's where it begins. It's in the presence of Christ, His presence in us through His Spirit that we can have peace. I can tell you what peace is not. It's not ignoring our differences. It's not acting like there is no conflict. It's not living this, uh, 
approach that, uh, oh, uh, there's no problems really, everything's fine, and ignoring the difficulties. That's not what peace is. Peace is recognizing those things are real. We're all dealing with them. They're around us all the time. But understanding that the answer is not going to come from without. It's going to come from within. It's going to come with changed hearts. That's what's going to bring peace between all the different divided up groups and cultures and ethnicities and economic levels in our world. We can rest in the peace that comes from knowing He will care for us just as He does all of His creation. We don't have to be striving so hard anymore against each other because we will be working together for the common good of the kingdom of God. We are reminded in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25, about how we don't need to be caught up in all the things that we get so divided over. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Or some translations say a cubic to your height. And obviously that doesn't work. <laughs> and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. The pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But here's the key. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The things that divide us, that cause us to fight and, and divide and destroy each other. When you bring your heart under the grace of God and you walk in that grace by the power of the Spirit. Those things don't divide you anymore. Those things are things that you know God, God provides for his children. And so we can work together then as God's people under the grace of God, knowing that we're all totally dependent on that grace and the presence of his spirit. So we're all in the same boat here. No matter what color your skin is, no matter how much money you have or don't have, no matter, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your, your status is in society, none of those things change the grace of God for you and your need for the grace of God. None of those things. And so that brings us together as one. But the third thing is this. Peace is also in a process. He says we're all being built together. That's a process. I would love it if I could preach this sermon today and we would all go out loving each other and have unity and we wouldn't have to do anything else. Wouldn't that be great? It's like, you know, when they did the song, We Are the World. If they could have just done that song and then everybody got along and everybody was being good and, and we had unity, wouldn't that be great? One thing, got it done, we're done now, move on. Something else. But that's not how this works. You see, peace is a process over time it's something that we have to to live in daily uh, you remember the prophets that were telling about the coming of Christ they gave him a name a whole list of names in Isaiah but one of the names was he would be called the prince of peace remember that he would be the prince of peace 
So through his death and resurrection, he made a way of peace available to us. In the face of all the battles of this unpeaceful world, Jesus offers the terms of peace, a way to move forward in peace. When we surrender to that power, when we accept his life, when we embrace that way, we have to understand that it is a way that must be chosen every day, not just once and done. Because Satan won't leave this alone. We have an enemy that will attack us when we're trying to live in peace, trying to have peace in our hearts and our minds. How many of you just recently, just this past week, had trouble sleeping because something was spinning around your mind that you were worried about and concerned about, right? I bet all of us have had some of that, all of us. Satan's not going to leave you alone. But the key is, if you understand the grace of God and the presence of his spirit, you know where to go with that. You know you can take it to the Father who loves you so much that he gave his son for you. So no matter what it is that's going around in your heart and your mind that's disturbing your peace, he is there for you consistently. In John 14, beginning with verse 26, he told us this. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I've said to you. And then he said this, peace, Jesus said, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If you ever read the history of human beings on the earth, do you know how long human beings have ever lived at peace? Never. I mean, there were moments of temporary peace, right? Where there wasn't actually war going on. There have been some brief moments like that. But very few and not for very long. Right now, there's conflicts all over the world. Wars being fought, people being shot and killed, families being destroyed all around the world. And it has always been that way. So what we're talking about here is not something that is the ability of man to handle on our own. And so Jesus says, the peace that I give you is not like the world gives. What the world gives is temporary moments of peace. And somehow we chase after those things as if they're going to give us the peace we're looking for. People love to escape. I see posts all the time on social media. I just can't wait to get away. The beach is my happy place. The mountains is my happy place. Disney World is my happy. We're going to go somewhere so we can have some peace. As if going somewhere is going to give you peace. It's not the location, people. It's not the outside environment. Jesus says, I give you a peace not like what the world gives. The world's peace is so short-lived. It's so temporary. I can give you an abiding peace. That no matter what's going on around you in the world, there can still be peace in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships with others. But we all need reminders, don't we? We all need reminders because we, we have this enemy and we battle these things and things come in our lives that distort our peace and disturb our peace. So in Ephesians 2, he closes it, this passage with this. He says, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Like the Legos I talked about earlier. He says, if we do this according to his plan and his process, 
What happens is when we come to Christ and we connect with each other, he begins to build peace in your life and in the lives of others. He begins to build a life of peace. It's a process. It took days to build that pirate ship. This process of building peace in your life is going to take time as you learn and as you grow and you become more like Christ and you follow his teachings, you begin to experience the peace of God. That's why he warns us in Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, God's plan is this. You connect with him through Christ. But when you connect to God through Christ, he connects you with others who are connected to him through Christ. And he encourages us not to forsake, not to, to miss the meeting together, the gathering together of his people. Because here's what happens. This is an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing process. And if, if we don't come together regularly and encourage each other and build each other up and teach each other and learn and grow, then we, we miss out on that strengthening that we need to have to keep peace in our lives. That's why we come together around the Lord's table every Sunday here at Lakeshore. We remember with the bread and the cup, God's love, God's care, and God's provision so that we could have peace. Peace with him, and then through his spirit, peace with each other and our relationships with each other. Friends, you cannot find this anywhere out there. It's only found in Christ. And I know today so many take lightly coming together as the body of Christ. And they don't show up regularly and they don't make it a priority and they don't make it a real commitment in their lives. Friends, if you're searching for peace, and I think we all are, this is part of the process to have peace. So you can't leave this part out and still expect to have the peace that God wants you to have. You can't. This has to become who you are. As a Christ follower, you honor him. You meet together with others who honor him and follow him. And you come around this table and you remember his love and his sacrifice. That's where, that's where you begin to experience the peace. And it's reinforced regularly so that when you go back out into that world that is so divided, so many bad things going on, you have to be strengthened and prepared for that and coming together consistently as the body of Christ. It's where you get that strength and that encouragement that prepares you to live in peace out there. So I want to thank you for being here today, but I want to encourage you to understand that just showing up one time doesn't give you peace. And just, and just acknowledging God every now and then doesn't give you peace. It's a lifestyle of worshiping and honoring and serving and gathering together that is the source of the peace that you're so hungry for, that you're looking for. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you that together we can find peace. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. Father, we are reminded today that we all, we all need your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness in our lives. That we can only be united with you through what Christ did. None of us has earned it. But Father, because of that, it also puts all of us on equal ground before you. No one is better than the other. 
We're all sinners saved only by your grace. If there's someone today who needs to take steps back to you, please, Father, help them know in their heart your grace is there for them. You will gladly welcome them. Cleanse and restore into that relationship again that you want to have with them. And that will be the steps back to the relationship they need to have with others. Father, may we respond to your call for that peace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.